This is Shifting Our Schools episode 111, diving into inquiry with our guest, Aaron Dickey. We talked about um, different ways they like to learn. Um, do they like to learn alone with a partner in a group? Um, does that change based on whether you're doing a daily assignment or whether you're doing a project? Um, are you cool with lectures sometimes? Do you like classes where we have lots of discussions? You know, that kind of stuff. Listen up, educators. Are you looking to take your classroom to the next level? The technological shift in education is happening right now. If you're looking to integrate technology into your classroom, you're in the right place. Welcome to Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. Well, welcome back to Shifting Our Schools. Thank you for listening and subscribing to us in your favorite podcast player. If you aren't subscribed, you can do that now. Just search for Shifting Our Schools wherever you like to listen to podcasts. We really do appreciate all of you who continue to spread the word about Shifting Our Schools. We'd love to hear your thoughts on different episodes, and you can do that by tweeting us using the hashtag SOSpodcast, or let us know where you listen to our podcast. We always like to know where you are listening from. You can also reach out to us via email at SOSpodcast at gmail.com. Is there something you'd like us to talk about on the show, or if you have thoughts about any of our episodes, again, you can just email us at sospodcast at gmail.com or head over to our website, sospodcast.org, and fill out the contact form there as well. One of the ways podcast sites rank podcasts is based off of ratings and reviews. I just noticed our last review on Apple's podcast site was almost a year ago. If you haven't yet given us a review or a rating on your favorite podcast site, we'd really appreciate it if you could take a few minutes to do that for us. If you just head over to wherever you listen to podcasts, there's usually a way to rate them and to uh, leave reviews. And if you are listening to this on an Apple device, that would be over on the Apple website. If you give us a rating or write a quick review about our podcast, uh, we'd really appreciate it. This helps other teachers find us when searching for podcasts and helps the algorithm recommend us when teachers are searching as well. Time is running out to enter to win this really cool Flipgrid pop-up tent. We'll be taking entries until the end of the month, the end of February 2020. How do you win, you ask? All you have to do is leave us your Flipgrid response by going to sospodcast.org and clicking on Flipgrid at the top, or download the Flipgrid app to your phone and enter code SOSpodcast in the app, and that'll take you to our Flipgrid. Every week, we ask a question here on the podcast, and all you have to do is give us your thoughts on that question. It's a great way to reflect on your own learning and reflect on what you are hearing in these podcasts. Each week, we ask a question based on that week's episode for you to ponder about, and then you get an opportunity to leave your response, and it enters you to win our cool prize. This week, or this month, sorry, it is a Flipgrid pop-up tent. You can see and learn more about that pop-up tent over on our Flipgrid. So if you head over to sospodcast.org and click on Flipgrid at the top, there's actually a video there where I kind of show you the tent, show you the the dimensions of the tent and how it all folds up and can fit in your corner when kids aren't using it. It's just a really cool product and I appreciate Flipgrid giving it to me so I can give it away to you. So this week's question is, how and where do you give students ownership of their learning? Today's podcast is all about inquiry and about student ownership. And so I really would like you to reflect on where and how do you give students ownership of the learning in your classroom? Again, just record your answer to that question over on our Flipgrid to enter your chance to win a Flipgrid pop-up tent or send us a message at sospodcast at gmail.com. Include your mailing address for your chance to win this Flipgrid pop-up tent. We all grow when we share and learn together. This week, Chris Butler and I have a chat with Erin Dickey, a high school teacher focused on inquiry with her students driving their own learning, right down to students creating the class syllabus, a teacher pushing her craft of teaching to the next level. And with that, on with the show. All right, welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. So glad to be back here with my co-host, Chris Butler, and Aaron Dickey, who uh, used to be on the podcast with Chris. We're going to get that whole mm-hmm. low down here <laughs> as well, uh, and also uh, just a, a great person. So I'm so excited to have you, oh, uh, thank back, you. 
back yeah. on the podcast. I was going to look up, I'll look it up while you and Chris are talking because you were on the podcast before and I'll find what number that is and make sure that yeah. goes into the show. Yes. But, uh, but as, as usual on the podcast, it's a day in the life of uh, Chris Butler, the tech coach. How was your day today, Mr. Butler? Welcome to Day in the Life of Chris Butler. Um, today was good. <laughs> we were, <laughs> I was out at, um, we visit, I visited four schools today, started at up towards the mountain. Um, if you're unfamiliar with the Hood River County School District, it's a kind of wide district and we have a couple schools that if you drive basically south of town, south of Hood River, it goes up, up towards the mountain. So I started at an elementary school down there, worked my way down the valley, hit another elementary school, hit a middle school, and then another middle school here in town, just kind of poking my head in classrooms, answering questions, saying hi. Um, it was a really, it was a really good day. Got some cool kind of shaking hands and kissing babies moments, but also yeah. <laughs> um, some very beneficial um, touching base with some teachers and like, Hey, I'd love to have you come in my class and we can do this cool thing. So awesome. that was awesome. It was really good. Did you see anything cool happening in classrooms? Saw some, yeah, saw a variety. Um, saw one class was, they were in the process of creating some podcasts. They were in the planning stages, but they're going to cool. record some podcasts. Um, another class at one of the middle schools was doing a research portion of a project that they were going to turn into PSA, video PSAs, Very public cool. service announcement videos. Um, so saw a variety of some cool things. Um, saw some classrooms that I could um, help push them forward a little bit um, and saw some teachers that are like just killing it right now. So it was, awesome. it was fun. It was a good day. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. That's always good when you have a day like that and you're out and get to yeah, see sure. kids and you know, yeah. you're not and stuck was, behind a desk doing the other, was, the other part of your best. job. <laughs> yeah. Seeing kids. So. Yeah. They're like, yeah. Hey, there's another person in here. Yeah. That's <laughs> great. Well, Aaron, welcome back to the podcast. And for those who don't know you, um, do you want to give us just a quick rundown of kind of who you are and your journey into education? Yeah, sure. So um, I teach at a high school in the Tri-Cities in Washington state and um, I've been teaching for about 15 years, um, and I've taught uh, language arts, I've taught social studies, I've taught theater, um, I've taught middle school and high school, um, every grade between 7th and 12th, and um, right now I am uh, working part-time as an instructional technology coach, and then two periods a day I teach. I have this semester, starting today, um, I have a, an advanced drama class, and uh, a social studies class that is called International Problems. Ooh, cool. That's, that's depressing for you. No, we're going to make it engaging and fun, but it can get a little dark. Um, so yeah, um, it's kind of interesting um, right now, kind of wearing multiple different hats all the time. But um, for most of my career, I was just like a straight up classroom teacher. Um, I taught middle school for about eight years, really, really liked doing that, and then moved uh, from Oregon back up here to my hometown, um, and uh, the school that I teach at is my high school alma mater. Wow, cool! Which is weird and fun. <laughs> um, so I've been there since 2013, and um, have taught lots of different classes. Is tech school. coach new this year for you, or were you tech coach before? Uh, that was new to me last year. Last year so right. it's a it's a full time position, but I job share it with a colleague um, okay. and friend. Uh, which is great because I don't work very well by myself. So, <laughs> I knew um, yeah, yeah. Chris, uh, Chris knows that about me. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I, I have a really great colleague that I share that job with and they actually um, built the day so that she and I both teach the same two class periods per day. So our coaching time is scheduled together, uh, which means we can uh, be super collaborative and that's really good. So awesome. Very cool. yeah, that's what I'm up to right now. Awesome. And I just looked it up. You were episode 50. If everybody wants to go back and watch Ooh. that, and I'll make sure yeah. it's a link in the show notes, but it was ep episode 50 and it was a uh, project-based learning in the high school English classroom. So, oh. so I'm not even teaching English right now. See, yeah. I know. Life so my first 50. question to you is like, what, what's going on now with project-based learning? What do you, where, where do you have things going on? Some of these cool other classes yeah. you got going on? Yeah. So, um, uh, I, my, my drama class that I have right now is actually this quarter is going to be a huge experiment in very, very, very project-based learning because, mm. um, part of this class is that the students and I will put together a roughly like one hour long, um, play, um, and we will perform it 
for adjudicators at our state theater festival in March. And cool. so um, I have 30 students in the class and I chose a script and cast the students in parts. But now that we're actually getting down to working on putting it together, um, I, will, I will be directing the scenes, um, but the students will be, in addition to their role as actors, they will be, they're on teams of people and they will be putting together all of the technical aspects of the play. So they have a costume team and a set team and a props team and all that stuff. And so um, they're already like well in the throes of starting to make lists and plans and gather items and strategize about how we can do things. And our production has to be mobile. We have to drive it about six hours across the mountains. And so they're thinking about wow. how we can make that happen. And so um, that whole class this quarter is just going to be focused around that project. And it's very interdependent learning. Everyone mm. needs everyone else, which is really great. Um, I had this moment today uh, where I thought, oh, I, I don't, what I don't have in place right now is I don't have a system in place for kind of tracking where we're at on a daily or weekly basis. Um, and I realized that the desire I had to come up with something like that was kind of based on, oh, I'm probably going to have to put grades in the grade book at some point. Yeah. <laughs> because in my drama class, um, I just don't, that class, we don't have a lot of trouble with like, I don't know, motivating students to want to work on the project or with investing them in the project. They're all super invested. It's an elective class. No one has to take it. So um, everyone's already like working like busy little beavers on their elements of the production. And so now I'm thinking, oh, I, I might have to come up with some sort of, I don't know, artificial way to give them points. Gotta have for what something in the grade something. book. Gotta have something. Gotta have no, right? it's always an irritation to me. I would love to <laughs> um, work in an environment where we didn't have grades, but mm. it's very much not the environment that I'm working in. So I got to figure out a way around that. Mm. Um, haven't figured that one out yet, but that's a, that's a very small problem to solve. The project itself yeah. is off and running and people are excited. Um, it feels a lot like we are building the airplane as we are flying it mm -hmm. um, because they ha they're having such a heavy hand in how we're designing this production that that will really influence my decisions about um, what the play looks and feels like. And so uh, I don't have a bunch of stuff mapped out. We're just kind of figuring it out day by day as we go. But um, that's also really fun. It's a really energetic group of students. So cool. that's really fun. Um, and I think and you I find that with drama or with any electives like that, like you were saying that these kids, you know, chose to be here. Yes. And so because there's that, even just a little bit of that choice, you know, it's not, it's not senior English that everybody has to take. Right. You know, these kids have signed up for drama. So there's some passion behind what they do. Yeah. And, and, and that motivation factor is so huge when you have little, even little pieces of choice like that in some mm -hmm. product that you're trying to create, which I think really lends itself. The idea when we talk about project or problem-based learning is having, where do students have choice? Choice yeah. over tools they might use, choice over how they might, you know, um, display their, their final product. Uh, to the world, wh whatever that looks like. Anytime you can even give little pieces of choice like that, you know, you see motivation, I think, changing kids. Yeah. Yeah. They're pretty, they're pretty excited about it right now. Um, I started teaching drama classes. Uh, this is my third year teaching drama classes. And um, it was the first time in my teaching career that I had taught electives. And it is, it's like a whole different ball game. It's mm -hmm. a really, really different experience um mostly in a really really positive way um and so then today was the first day of semester two and i found myself getting nervous because um i had this international problems class that started today and i realized oh this is the first time i've taught an academic class in the last two years i've just been teaching drama this year and last year and so i got a little nervous like oh how do i do this i like wore i wore like a dress today i was like <laughs> i gotta I got to dress up. I got to put my game face on. Um, and so I, I was, I was like sweating. And I was like, what do I say to the students that are sitting in the desks in front of me? It was just weird. I got kind of wigged out about it. I mean, it, it all went fine, of course, but, yeah. um, you know, so now with that class, um, you know, 
I have to work a bit harder to structure things and to kind of sell kids on what we're going to be doing in that class. Um, but the nice thing about this particular class is that it does not have a lot of parameters around it. And so um, there's no, there's no state test. There's no ultimate assessment that someone is looking for us to do. Um, there's not even a really structured curriculum around it. So um, two years ago, I taught this class and uh, I ended up making it like fully project based. And um, we just dove into like full student choice in all aspects of the project right from the beginning of the semester. And that was maybe a mistake. <laughs> Um, I, I kind of had this foolish idea that juniors and seniors in high school would know how to craft a project in which they had a lot of choice, but they really didn't know how to do that. So um, I learned a lot that semester. And then mm -hmm. last year I didn't teach this course. So here I am like two years later, basically teaching it again. Um, so I really dug into Trevor McKenzie's book, Dive Into Inquiry. Cool. And uh, found it. Like sometimes I lose stamina for reading education books because there are some really good ones out there, but there's kind of this fine line between a book being kind of too light on detail and being too um, big picture ideas or a book being, I don't know, so granular that I don't even want to sit down and read it. And his book, uh, I thought, was a very good mixture of those two things. Oh, cool. um, it's very short. I read it in probably a day or two nice. and um, annotated it. So um, his whole approach is based on a gradual release of responsibility when it comes to inquiry-based learning. So um, the other thing that he does, which I started today, is he actually... Um, has his students help design the syllabus for the class. Mm. And so we started that process in my class today. And I was, again, I was already a little nervous. And then that kind of made me more nervous just because I've never done that with students before. Yeah. Um, but got them going on some good conversations, had them start brainstorming, okay, this is international problems. What do you guys want to study? What topics do you are you interested in? Um, we talked about um, different ways they like to learn. Um, do they like to learn alone with a partner in a group? Um, does that change versus, uh, based on whether you're doing a daily assignment or whether you're doing a project? Um, are you cool with lectures sometimes? Do you like classes where we have lots of discussions? You know, that kind of stuff. And um, sorry, my phone was ringing. Um, and so then tomorrow we'll continue those conversations and start to build them into a shared document. Mm -hmm. um, and then the first, the first project that we're going to do in that class, um, I wouldn't call it true PBL, but it's going to be like dipping our toes in the pool. And um, we're all going to study the same topic. I'm going to craft the essential question. And um, I'm going to give them resources and kind of move them through that process. Um, and then over time, as we get to the end of the semester, uh, we'll end the semester with a totally free choice project where they will select the topic, they'll write an essential question, they'll pull resources, and they'll determine how they're going to express their learning. Um, and so, yeah, we're just going to scaffold it from first project to last project mm -hmm. because last time I tried this, we started with a totally free project and some kids just like dove in and thrived on that and that was super cool, but that was not a majority of the students. Yeah many kids were so uncomfortable with me not giving them more specifics. So they didn't have a problem picking a topic, but then after that it got, it was like the wild west. They just were very scared. Yeah. So, um, so I'm going to build up to it this time around, which I think is going to go better. Hmm. Um, yeah. Do you have a, do you have a cycle that you use? Like, do you follow a design cycle or do you have a project based cycle that you like to use where you actually like talk to kids and say, Oh, we're going to spend, a week in inquiry stage, or we're going to spend a week analyzing different issues around your question, or do you just um, kind of play it by ear? How do you kind of structure what, when you talk about like putting those structures in place, what's that look like? So I think in the first unit, the first unit is going to look 
more like a traditional classroom unit where I'm going to be like our first unit is going to be all about the basics of US foreign policy because they can't really dive into anything else that we do in this class without understanding international relations to some degree. Um, otherwise, we just can't discuss current events. We can't really dive right, into yeah. what's happening and why. So um, I've got some content that I'm going to roll out in some various ways. Um, and it's going to be building up to them answering the question, what should the United States role in the world be? Mm. Which obviously is super open-ended and every kid can have a different answer to that question. And it'll kind of force them into making an argument. Right. You know, the U.S. role should be this and here's why. Um, and I think... Uh, the end product is going to look a bit more traditional because what I want to accustom them to is the idea of using an essential question to guide their learning. I want to um, kind of roll out some of the types of resources that I think they ought to look for when they have more independence. So I want to kind of model for them um, what that uh, like research phase can look like. Um, and I want to roll out some different structures for documenting what they're learning so that then again, when they get to the end of the semester and they have to design their own project, part of what they'll need to do is write a plan for me about how they're going to execute this project. And part of the plan will be, how are you going to keep track of what you're learning on a day-to-day -day basis so that I can check in with you and see mm -hmm. where you are. So that's not just a nebulous, go learn some things. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't have, I don't have a total time frame or structure, rock solid worked out yet. I might also be building this class while it's happening, <laughs> a little bit. Um, I'm not sure how all the pieces are going to interact yet. Um, part of that's because there's there's another um, kind of gimmicky thing that I'm also going to add into the class, and I'm typically sort of anti gimmicky things but I like this one, which is, um, it's a site called fan school and mm. it is essentially it's like fantasy football, mm. but for global current events. <laughs> so the kids draft countries and the list of countries that they draft is their That's their team of countries. And then they get points based on how often their country countries are mentioned in the New York Times and then points are added or subtracted to that based on the tone of how the country is mentioned whether it's a positive tone or a negative tone hmm. and so it's kind of a gamified way of getting kids um, into current events and keeping track of what's going on so I'm trying to like find a way to fold that into what we're going to be doing in the class Cool. Basically, Jeff, what I'm telling you is I don't know. <laughs> That's the short answer. But, I don't but Aaron, know. What I, but what I really like, Aaron, is the fact that you, having taught this before, but not having taught it for a year and a half, basically, um, you reflected on what you did last time, what went well, what you could tweak, what you could change. Um, and having worked with you in kind of building that class, which was... Yeah. And I, I remember it was like, all right, we're going to do this full on PBL and we're going to help teach kids how to create guiding questions and they're going to choose their own question and they're just going to go and it's going to rock. Um, and we had big dreams and starry <laughs> eyes. and um, That's you and me in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, and, it, you know, for, for those kids that were good with it and able to handle it, it was amazing. Um, but you're right. It, probably needed more structure yeah. um it which i think you've taken in that into account for this time and you're putting that in and you're um kind of pulling back the range and that, i love the idea of that gradual release of control for students that's so yeah. powerful um so i'm anxious to hear how this how this class goes for you yeah i um we'll see how it goes uh there's mm -hmm. already some pretty broy guys in there that are <laughs> quite jocular mm. <laughs> and um but they also very cheerfully said goodbye to me at the door at the end of class okay so I, i'm gonna reel them in yeah and <laughs> i'm gonna are. dump on them like hey yeah. and now you're gonna study the iran nuclear deal <laughs> get ready so um i i think 
I think they'll get into it. I think they'll yeah. get into it. I don't know. Yeah, I just haven't tried this scaffolded inquiry model before. So I just don't know. And the interesting thing about Trevor McKenzie's book is he spends the he spends the bulk of the second half of the book really going into depth about the the free inquiry, which is the last stage, mm-hmm. which is good because I I think most people reading the book that's what they need the most assistance with envisioning how that could look because for most teachers that's the biggest leap is like what sure. i'm gonna let them choose what they're studying and how they're studying it and how they're showing you what they learned that's crazy and i've already done that yeah and i actually could use some more in-depth a more in-depth look at like okay but give me all the nitty-gritty of how you scaffolded this like what's your you know unlock your brain for me about how you build up to it and it's not that he it's not that it's not there it's just there aren't that many specifics about the three stages leading up to the final stage. Okay. So, that, so that's what I was going to ask, and you might not have the answer for this exactly, but how is this different from the inquiry work that you had the kids do prior, the, thir- the first time you did this class? That was more based on trying to create a guiding question specifically? Well, basically, um, what I did the last time I taught the class mm-hmm. was I just did four iterate like four um identical cycles of what he would call like the last end cycle i see yes okay and so um i did make some adjustments through the semester like the first one i i thought oh that totally freaked them out that was a (laughs) lot of choice and they didn't know what to do with it yeah and so then the next time um i did build in a little bit more structure i had them um stick to a tighter calendar and I had some kind of soft due dates throughout the project instead of just the big due date at the end. Um, and those kinds of things helped. But um, what I like about this model is that we're all going to start in the same space on the same topic with the same guiding question. And I think another great thing about that is we'll be able to have discussions about the topic. We can bounce a lot of ideas off of each other while everyone can still have their own unique take on the question, mm-hmm. on their, their answer to the question. Um, then as we move into the second phase, I think what the second phase is gonna look like is that perhaps we'll choose a bigger umbrella topic as a class, like the Middle East or climate change or something like that. And then we'll come up with a few guiding, a few essential questions under that umbrella. And then people can pick from those two or three choices. Like, well, the thing in the Middle East that I really want to study is the relationship between the U.S. and Iran, because that's in the news a lot right now. Or the thing I really want to study is the Israeli-Palestine conflict, or whatever it is. So there'd be, you know, two, three, four questions to choose from, but there'll still be a critical mass of people studying each topic, and there'll still be some of that kind of group experience happening. Yeah. Um, And then I think the third phase will look like probably similar, like umbrella topic with a few choices underneath, but the more open part will be where, where and how they gather the information and what they produce with the information. Mm -hmm. And we'll go out into the fourth phase with a free for all. (laughs) Um, And the structure for the free inquiry will be, they have to write a plan. And submit it to me and I'll yeah. I'll spend you know several days in class conferencing with each kid about their plan to make sure everyone's got something viable going what do you foresee as like some projects or like products that people are that the kids like like if you kind of envision down the road or from when you taught this year and a mm-hmm. half ago what are some of the products that kids have at the end of these cycles or that you envision you could have I think uh, for this first phase I think we will do something pretty traditional like, I think I will probably have them write something. Um, and it may not be, I, I probably won't be a huge, huge stickler about how formal it is, but I think it'll probably be a written piece. Again, because I just kind of want them to go through the process in a way that feels sort of familiar to them mm-hmm. and then branch out from there. But if we're, if we're thinking further ahead, um, in the past, when we did these projects, I really said, you can make whatever you want as long as it's something that really like exists in the real world. Um, like you can't make a poster because, <laughs> and I'm probably going to loosen up on this, but last time I got kind of fussy about it. Cause I said, well, a poster typically in the adult world 
is not something that has a huge quantity of information on it. Right. Typically a poster is like an advertisement or, you know, a huge brochure, but um, I don't think you're going to be able to convey the depth of the information I'm asking for on a poster. Um, but I might just, um, if I'm really, if I'm really going for choice, then I might just let them make whatever it is they want to make as long as um, the learning is demonstrated. Last time I had a lot of kids who made websites. Um, no one wanted to do all of the work, I think, that is required to make a video. We did not have any video projects or any audio projects. Um, a lot of websites, some kind of like digital magazine type stuff. Mm. Um, one, one group uh, committed to being a group for the whole semester and all four of their projects had to do with different aspects of climate change. And they basically made a textbook, like a mm -hmm. mini textbook. And each chapter in the textbook was about a different climate change topic. And so they all mm. wrote articles for every chapter and they had visuals for every article and they had some infographics. That was pretty cool. Um, so this semester I'm trying to, um, I'm trying to conquer something that I've never pulled off because I've never wanted to invest in doing the work required to make it happen, which is, whew, I would like to do some kind of public expo at the yeah. end of the semester. Yeah. And now I feel like I really have to do it because the ninth grade language arts teachers at my school are doing an expo this week oh, with cool. ninth graders. Mm. They did this really incredible project called Voices of Gen Z. And every student picked a topic that was really relevant to them. And then they created something. So some kids did cool. tri boards, some kids did TED Talks, some kids did mini documentaries. Um, and so today and tomorrow and Friday, they're doing this public expo every period of the day. Yeah. The kids are only attending during the period that they have language arts, but um, so today, a bunch of them were up in the library displaying their, their boards and people were walking around and talking to them. Um, tomorrow and Friday, they're going to be like in our black box theater doing their TED Talks and showing their mini documentaries. Wow. Um, they invited all the administration. They invited people at the district. Um, it is what, really what high school are you at? Hanford High School. Okay. I was going to say, because my goddaughters are at Richland and they're not talking about this. So I was like, what? No, no. Um, like I was about ready to text them because one of them's a ninth grader. I was like, uh, yeah. excuse me. Yeah. yeah. So this is, this is at the other high school in the town. The other high school. <laughs> the town. other high school. Um, and every ninth grader is doing it. Wow. That's um, cool. So the, the ninth grade team in the language arts department has a really strong collaborative relationship. They, they, the four of them all planned this big thing together, but I thought, and it has been a lot of work. I've watched yeah. them yeah, because yeah. my, um, my cohort that I, my colleague that I share my coaching job with is one of the ninth grade language arts teachers. Um, so I've been watching her work on it, but it's really cool. And I just need to buck up and, do this yeah well <laughs> I, I only even, have to do it for one class of students so i can yeah do it. <laughs> yeah i was even thinking like i wonder if for that for your first even your first round where you're going to have them write something mm -hmm. i think there there might be some opportunity of doing the you know going into uh just i don't i don't even know i guess some learning around the difference between fact and opinion mm -hmm. and i wonder if the writing sample they do at the end is like an op-ed piece <laughs> that is like in yeah. a news like that is like an actual news article and then yeah. bonus points if you actually submit it yeah because That's anybody a, can submit an op-ed piece to your local newspaper oh yeah and get it published you know yeah and i um i know that um the New York Times this year has started rolling out this writing curriculum and all of their units are based around the idea of mentor texts. And mm. so they're, they're of course pulling mentor texts from things that have been published in the New York Times, but I know they have um, a unit on op-ed writing Yeah, that's already kind of built out with mentor texts and, um, and tools for students to look at like, what are the characteristics of that type of yeah. writing? That's a really that's a really great idea, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Well, just when you were talking about it, I'm like, that sounds perfect because you're going to be yeah. doing this in-depth research into it's more authentic. the least or whatever it yeah. is. Yeah. That's what I was struggling what's with for the, this first one. I was like, what's the, what's the authentic, authentic piece that they're yeah. creating if we're all doing the same topic and it, you know, so. 
that's a great idea. Cool. Mm -hmm. yeah. Part of Very their cool. plan at the end of the semester should be to pitch to me like how they want to share their piece. But I think I'm just going to have to like schedule, um, schedule this expo thing and maybe, um, maybe we can hold it during the class period, but we could also um, hold it during the evening as well. Yeah. So that Are you taking your 11th and 12th graders to see the ninth grade expos? No. See, I think this is what I, is just like, let's just like, <laughs> thought about this. You should take yours for the next three class periods, go and see what the ninth graders do over yeah. the next three days, because they're going to come back and say, well, that one was so bad or this <laughs> one, because they're kids, right? That's what right. they're going to say. Yes. And then you get to say, well, that's great. I'm so glad that you got so much out of that. Guess what we're doing in <laughs> May? You think you can do it so much better than those ninth graders. So Guess what we're doing ideas. in May? And they'll have all these ideas of mm -hmm. TED Talks. Yeah. You know, dramas, documentaries. I mean, they'll get to see some of those final products. They've probably heard that this is going on. I'm sure they know oh, about yeah. it, you know. But to actually, probably. maybe you don't take all three days, but take one of the three days and say, we're going to go visit it. This is totally what say, we should do on Friday. Absolutely. Yeah. And then yeah. be able the to come back. Field say, trip. Yeah. I like that it. That could be kind of cool. Yeah. Boy, I'm so glad that I came on the podcast. <laughs> That's two good ideas in like the last two minutes. Yeah. <laughs> See, this is, this is why, Chris, I need you to come back so that <laughs> I, know. I can block out at least an hour of your time every week for these I, kind of conversations. You know, I would love it. Yeah. <laughs> So, speaking of that, Aaron, so yeah. should, can we can we shift gears a little bit and talk about the coaching? Yeah. So I'm super curious. Um, you said you are one of two coaches, half two halftime coaches, which equals yeah. quote unquote equals one coach, right? Um, yeah. Talk to me about the benefits, the dynamics of having two coaches in one building, because. I'm kind of super jealous because I'm one yeah. coach for eight buildings. So. <laughs> Baby steps. Yeah. Baby steps, Hood River. All, almost almost <laughs> the same. Almost yeah, the it's same. really, really similar. Oh, my gosh. Um, I think – so I will be totally honest and say that I think coaching is tough, or I would say I, I think it's tough to break into a space where coaching is actually what you are doing. I don't feel like I'm spending a lot of time authentically coaching or doing coaching cycles with people that I work with. Um, and that's for a variety of reasons. Um, and I'm not, I don't feel super negative about that. I feel like that's where our building is right now. Um, but it, getting to the question that you actually asked me, uh, I actually think it is there are positives and negatives to splitting this job between two people. The negatives are that, um, that she and I both have to gear shift so much during our day yeah. that we have to flip back and forth between teacher mode and coach mode. Um, not in like some kind of official sense, but just there's so much to do in both of those roles. Um, even though she and I each only teach uh, two periods per day, you guys know, you could spend all day planning for those two periods, no problem. Especially when one of your periods is an advanced drama class and the other one is called International <laughs> Problems. Those are nothing alike, as it turns out. Yeah. So I could spend my whole day just working on those things. Um, but it turns out I'm actually getting paid to use the other half of my day to help other teachers with technology. So um, the context switching is tricky. Whereas if it was just one person and all they did was coaching, obviously you can focus your efforts in that one area. But that being said, I do think for, for who we are as people and for our building, I actually think it's great to have it split between two people. Um, she and I both feel like we accomplish a lot more and have much better ideas because the other person is there. Um, it's someone to keep you on track and to generate lots of good ideas with. In terms of reaching out to other people in the building, she happens to also be the co-department chair of the English department. And so she has a huge in with a massive department of people who it's the only department that really teaches every kid in the school because English is the only class that you have to take all four years of high school. So she has, um, she has done a lot of really good work with her natural colleagues in the English department um, where she's kind of like combining her role as department chair 
and ninth grade team member and instructional technology coach. And that has created some really great outcomes like this ninth grade expo that they're doing. She didn't cause that to happen single-handedly, but her work as a coach hugely informed that mm. project um, and vice versa. So um, whereas uh, I have kind of a more natural connection to the social studies department and the arts department. Um, and so we've kind of each been able to use our collegial relationships and in some cases our personal relationships on the staff to kind of spread tentacles out, not to be mm. too creepy, but um, so I think in that way, we have reached more people than either of us could have were we the only person in that role. So, so talk about that a little bit more as far as reaching more people, more, more teachers. What type of growth have you seen? So full, full disclosure for our listeners, mm -hmm. I was the coach at that building prior to Aaron and Natalie. Um, and, then, and the role has sort of shifted dynamics yes. a little bit. Um, yes. But so what, what type of growth have you seen? What, what um, you said that you're kind of reaching more people, which is awesome, because that was always honestly a struggle for me. It's, it's a struggle for any coach, right? That's, that's the reality of the game. Yes. So what type of growth have you seen? Um, so speaking to what you mentioned about how the definition of the role is a little bit different than when you were in it. Um, my colleague and I are tied to a technology grant that the district gave to each of the high schools. And so there's a person at the other high school, mm -hmm. uh, the one that Jeff's um, goddaughters go to. Um, and she's just a full-time instructional technology coach. They didn't split the position at their school. Um, so in theory, we should be spending our time working on the aims of the grant. Uh, when the grant actually um, came, uh, when the rubber met the road, the district ended up um, having maybe more unilateral control over how professional development time was spent than we had anticipated. And so that kind of shifted what things looked like last year. So um, I think we would have spent more concerted efforts on training the whole staff in project-based learning, for example, had we had more agency over how our few mm -hmm. PD days were spent. Um, and that just is what it is. And the lay of the land even looks a little bit different this year because some um, leadership has changed. Um, so I would say that over the last six months or so, maybe six to eight months, our perspective, well, I'm gonna speak for myself. I'm not gonna speak for my colleague, but my perspective has sort of shifted to be thinking about um, inspiring progress and change where I'm able to. Um, I'm kind of exhausted with trying to push too hard on big picture initiatives that people don't have a lot of buy-in into. That seems like a losing battle to me. Um, and so a few things that we're doing, um, one is we have a group at the school now that's called Innovation Team that is entirely voluntary. Mm. It grew out of a group that was kind of um, formed around mandatory participation from each department. And that group, so we kind of shifted that. And last spring, we started to talk about like, hey, we're going to phase this group into a different purpose. And so please stay if you're interested in that. But if that does not sound like something you want to be part of, no hard feelings, but you don't need to keep coming, you know, like just opt into this if you want to be part of this. So it's now it's called innovation team. And we, we only meet once a month just because everyone's very busy, but it's a group of teachers who are just interested in trying new things. And so um, the meetings don't, we, we took a meeting at the beginning of the year to set a mission, a vision and some values for the group. And then other than that, we don't have a lot of structure to the meetings. My colleague and I and the um, assistant principal who is like really into this work, um, the three of us usually meet to kind of try to find some little kind of inspiring nugget to give to the group. Usually it's a video of some kind about something cool that's happening somewhere. Um, and then other than that, we just let people go around and share what they're doing and what they're working on. Um, and it's just, it's almost like a support group in a way. 
because especially at the high school level, I think teaching can be very isolating and you can feel like you're the only person trying to do this thing that's a little different. And so this group's meant to eliminate that feeling. Um, so that's been really positive and we have people from just about every department in the school as awesome. part of that team. Um, and so a lot of new teachers, a lot of younger teachers are in that group, which is nice because mm -hmm. young teachers can feel really lonely, I think. So mm -hmm. um, I'm happy to have them there. But we have from people who are in their first year teaching all the way to like 30, 40 year veterans in this group, which is really great. So that's one um, place where that influence um, has started showing up. Um, and that group is inspiring each other to try some different things, to try more project-based learning, to try more blended learning. Um, we have a math teacher who is totally changing the way that she does her class and is basically transforming her class into a mastery-based class. Yeah, cool. And students cool. are working at their own pace. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's an algebra lab class, which means that each group of kids that she has, she actually sees them two periods a day because these are kids that have typically struggled in math. And for a majority of her students, it's been super motivating and kids feel like they have way more control over what they're doing and that it matters more because they know that it's not just, oh, the teacher's just gonna move on tomorrow whether I got it or not. Awesome. They have control over deciding, did I get it or did I not get it? Um, so she's shared that with the innovation team and other people are like, oh, I wonder how I could do something like that. So that's been, cool and and that's what i love about that team so i sat in on a couple of those meetings towards mm -hmm. the end of last year when mm -hmm. you guys were getting this going and it was it was great it was a support system it was a way to bounce ideas to share new thoughts get get inspired um and i think it felt like every time someone at least one teacher took away a new idea or a new concept yeah. or a thought that they could try in their own classroom so that, it was it was great it's a cool idea yeah. Well, and the thing that I like is we started this podcast talking about, you know, kids who have choice in taking elective class like your drama seem to be more highly engaged. Mm -hmm. Heaven forbid you allow <laughs> choice in your professional development and exactly. lo and behold, you have teachers who are highly engaged in becoming better teachers around right. whatever that structure is, right? Right. Um, that's another a school district that I'm working with has completely thought about um, is redone uh, PLCs. Mm -hmm. which are professional learning communities that is a big deal around here. Uh, but, you know, per, for, a, for a while, we got into this thing where a professional learning community ended up just being you and the other English teachers or you yeah. and the arts. And so it was basically like a department meeting, but mm -hmm. it was supposed to be yeah. focused on, on data. So this is the first year that they've, that they've done it where they have now changed those PLCs to be around what are you passionate about? And if there are other people passionate, you get to create a PLC around that. Yeah. Oh, awesome. interesting. And so you have people from at the high school, this is at the high school that they're doing it. You have people from different content areas coming together because we're all passionate about X, Y, and Z. Huh. And so at the beginning of the year, they set up, here are our passions as a staff. Yeah. And then you, you basically assign yourself to that Locked PLC in. Yep, for half a year. And then at second semester, you get the opportunity to either switch stay or switch it up because I might have more than one passion. Right. Yeah. Ooh, so I like that idea. Yeah, cool. it's really cool. And it, it's just, uh, they just took a poll of the teachers to ask how it was going and 80 per, over 80% of the teachers said they liked it, which wow. is really good for, I think a yeah, first semester PLC. thing. Yeah. Yeah. For yes. a PLC <laughs> saying like, I feel like I'm actually getting something out of this, yeah. you know, with like really people. Interesting. Yeah. So just a different way to think again, that, it, that the ability of choice, having choice in the way you learn yeah. is not a generational thing. Right. It's yeah. a human nature thing. Yes. Everyone so wants choice. Everybody wants choice. And so where are those places that you can bring choice in, you know, whether yeah. it's, you know, a, a committee that you get to choose to be on, or it's an, an elective class you get to choose to be, you see motivation be different, you know? So. Yeah. I, and this is the part where I'm still getting frustrated working in the kind of traditional system is that overall in our students school day, I don't think they're getting a lot of choice just looking at, all the strictures around what classes they have to take and oh i'm in this math class which means i have to have it this period from this teacher yeah, exactly. and that means i can't take this other elective that i really like and i just there's something really broken about that i agree and i wish we could um i wish that at our district and our building we could have more conversations about that i and it's not that anyone's really 
making a concerted effort to tamp down those conversations. But, um, you know, once that school year gets started and you are on the hamster wheel, it is really mm -hmm. hard to step off it for a minute and look at the big picture about why yeah. we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. Um, they're getting ready to form a committee in our district because they're, they're getting ready to put um, a bond together to build a third high school. And so, um, you know, I'm part of the fine arts department as a, as a drama teacher. And so the other performing arts people want to make sure there's a performing arts person on this building committee because the arts have like very specific things they want in a facility. We need lights. Lights. <laughs> we need a stage. We need more than one stage. We need soundproof yeah. rooms. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All kinds of gadgets and gizmos. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, absolutely. And so the person in our department who is for now going to be on that committee, he's like forwarded us this email that he got because he's on the committee and the, the whatever design firm is helping design the new building. They like had these two videos that they wanted everyone on the committee to watch to kind of start thinking about, Hey, we're building a new school. And the videos were about like 21st century learning and, um, how the students of today need different things and they were good videos but I just thought they kind of kind of bummed me out a little bit because I thought well what about the rest of us that stay at the school we're at right now what about the people that <laughs> yeah. don't go work at the new school yeah when do we get to reimagine what 21st century learning looks like I mean it's 2020 right now yeah, yeah. so we're yeah. We're 20% of the way through the 21st century. <laughs> when are we going to make any adjustments to the model? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because there are so many adjustments that could be made, even though we're not building a new building and we're not going to tear down classroom walls. We can metaphorically tear down some walls. Yeah, we can absolutely. tear down the walls that are the schedule. Um, absolutely. But it just doesn't seem like we really get to have those conversations. Hmm. So, yeah. I don't know. Like, that part gets a little discouraging, but. Yeah. I don't know. Mm, yeah. I, I, that's one of the things that, that my colleague and I have been talking about a lot in the last six months is, okay, we're, we're kind of tired of like banging our heads against the brick wall of the system. So yeah. that's part of where innovation team came from was let's form a group of people to talk about changes that we can make within the structure that we already have. Yeah. Like this math teacher who's switching to this mastery-based system it's a big shift for her students. It's yeah. a shift for her, but she's really excited about it. So she's putting tons of time and energy into it and is not complaining about that aspect of it. She's like energized by it, which is great. Um, but uh, that's, that's a huge shift that's going to make an impact in the mathematical learning of those students mm -hmm. that did not require busting up the schedule, um, did not require tearing down any walls. So that's, that's kind of where we're trying to focus our efforts. I would say it feels like a really slow burn still <laughs> when I think about all the people we haven't really made contact with. Um, you know, when I, when I walk through the halls and I kind of just kind of make casual observations about what it seems like is happening. Um, and we have lots and lots of good teachers at our school that are doing a really good job at the old model but yeah. I just wish we had more people trying newer models Yeah, because uh, yeah. I think there's so much potential there for kids. Yeah. yeah well, and that's, that's just, that's, that's what we're all about, right? Is how do yeah. you keep, right. how do you keep making those small steps uh, that, that impact teaching and learning for kids? Yeah. And it sounds like you've got yep. some things. This innovation team sounds really good. You know, people who want to it's be great. there, trying new things, uh, trying new things on, you know, things that are a stretch for them and the, mm -hmm. and the students, which I think is always, a really good way to do it. And the, you know, it is a slow to burn, but a lot of times you need one math teacher to try something mm -hmm. different and there are going to be a lot of iterations until it's, and it'll never be perfect, but until it gets better. Yeah. But then another math teacher sees that and another math teacher sees that next thing you I'm know, hoping. that's just yeah. the way the math is done. Right? I am yeah. hoping so. Yeah. Um, I want to share like one more little anecdote with you guys, um, which is uh, we got the, middle school and high school coaches got to go to um, a conference again this year, the Inicole conference. Although now the organization has changed its name to the Aurora Institute mm, for those who are following along at home. Yeah. <laughs> um, they changed, they unveiled their new name at the conference. It's kind of confusing. Um, so we went to, um, 
Well, a couple of people in the group went to a panel discussion with students and adults from this school in Boise that's called One Stone. And then they got all excited about this panel discussion they had witnessed. So then we all went to a showing of this. They have like a one hour documentary about their school. And it was like a real eye-opening moment for me. And I think of myself as somebody who knows about some of the up and coming stuff in the education world, has some visions about like what school could look like. It's different from what it does look like now, but this just totally blew that wide open. Um, it's a, it's a school that um, the idea for the school came from students. They were part of a, an after school program that was about um, getting them involved in their community and solving community problems. And the kids in the program said, you know, we learned so much doing these projects. Can we just make a school that's like this? And so mm -hmm. the, I think there were some wealthy donors involved yeah. um, in the original after school program, but they said, yeah, okay, let's make a school. So, um, it's a nonprofit organization with a, with a governing board and the governing board, it's in their charter that two thirds of the board has to be students from the school, wow. which is awesome. In the documentary, they show some footage from their board meetings that are like run by students. But anyway, the whole school um, is based around design thinking and the students um, iteratively design uh, solutions to problems in their community and their world. And like, that is what the school is. Wow. Um, and so they showed this documentary and then there were a couple of students from the school there to answer some questions afterward. And they were just, they were totally normal high school kids who had, who had had these doors opened for them and were transformed because of it. It's, it's like, you could mm -hmm. see that they were still just normal 17 year olds, mm -hmm. but at the same time, they got so much more about the world because they'd been allowed to. Yeah. And I, I walked out of this documentary with everybody and, you know, people were just chattering about it. And I felt really sad. That was my initial response. And I couldn't shake it for a while. And I realized, I just thought, we ask so little of our students. Like we, like at our school, we pride ourselves on being this very academically challenging school. We have a billion AP classes. We have these rigorous after school programs and that's all fine. None of that's bad necessarily but we're not actually engaging our students in the world. They're just playing a really leveled up version of the game of school. Mm -hmm. They're not actually out in their community mm -hmm. doing things that matter to them. Yeah. And it was, it was really astonishing to look at this film of all these kids doing stuff only doing things that were meaningful. Yeah. I thought, whoa, <laughs> we got a long way to go. Yeah. So that, that school yeah. well, is kind of inspiring and informing some of our work. And we're, we're trying to get permission to show the documentary to our innovation team and start thinking about, boy, what could we do at our school that looks more like that? Yeah. Cause I think we could. And to your point in 2020, that is totally possible. Yeah. You know, we have the tools that allow you to do this work. And to me, that is what technology has allowed probably more than anything is we have really powerful tools in the hands of kids that can crunch numbers for you in mathematics, that can allow you to write op-ed pieces for the New York Times. Like right. we, the tools are here. How are we using those tools to make those types of changes? You yeah. Know? And, and to me, that's, that's you know, that, that, those are the powerful things. And you can do it. I mean, mm -hmm. you can do it. You know, mm -hmm. you can make changes in local community. You can make changes globally. Um, and I agree with you. It, it, it sounds very cool. What's the name of the school again? One Stone. One I stone. think their website is something like onestone.org. Okay. Um, and they also, on a side note, they have very impressive branding. Like whoever is doing yeah. their... Yeah. Probably kids. Their art. Yeah, well, they <laughs> their do Their TikTok have, is probably perfect. I'm sure it is. <laughs> um, they, they do have... A, like a design lab, mm -hmm. I think at their school that, yeah, I think the students do produce visual design work for actual companies in the area. That's like one yeah, of the wow. things students can yeah. kind of yeah. go into at the school. Yeah. Oh, so cool. That's awesome. Right. So cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for spending uh, tonight with me. We've been on for almost an hour. Like that's a yeah, shocker. Time flies. With the three of us that's, get that's going. That's what Aaron does. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That's so good. <laughs> 
so good. So, uh, yeah, I, but, uh, I appreciate you. Here. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And have listened to you guys go back and forth. You could go. Yeah. Uh, you guys could go for another hour. I'm sure. But uh, yes, we thanks could. for <laughs> thanks for taking time out of your busy hey, schedule, you Aaron. Guys. I really Fun. appreciate it. Chris, as always, uh, tech teach travel on tech the teach Twitter. On Twitter. Uh, reach yeah. out if you want to be on the podcast. Always great to have you on and, and hear about another day in the life. Yeah. <laughs> Chris, the tech coach in Hood River, Oregon. So thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Thank Jeff. you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Shifting Our Schools with your host, Jeff Udick. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit sospodcast.org, facebook.com slash Jeff Udick, and on Twitter at judick. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time on Shifting Our Schools.